When it comes to the pursuit of happiness, Pastor Xavier Reese says, happy are the people whose joy is the Lord. The king in Jerusalem concluded that pleasure is also vanity and unsatisfying and empty. Listen to his words. But surely this also is vanity. You see, happiness as a goal is foolish. Happiness should be a result, not the goal. That's why we live through the joy of the Lord. It's our strength, not my emotions. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Someone has cleverly warned that although you may be triumphantly climbing the ladder of success, beware, it could be leaning against the wrong wall. And so it is with the pursuit of happiness. Just as King Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. The search for ultimate happiness usually ends with disappointment in a mere exercise in futility. And that's the simple truth observed by Pastor Xavier when measuring the results of Solomon's grand experiment for the pursuit of pleasure. Let's listen. Our world today is on the fast track in pursuit of pleasure on every level. And by this manner of lifestyle, people are clearly declaring that it is the way to find fulfillment in life. But nothing could be further from the truth. Solomon has told us over and over again that there is nothing new under the sun. All things have been tried and done by previous generations. We always think that we are the exception. We always think that we are the ultimate. Uh, and that's always deception. And yet, Solomon sets out to find out for himself in order to assess pleasure for himself. Now, sadly, many have gone this way only to regret the price paid and the consequences which they had to live with the rest of their life. I want you to think of Solomon as a scientist who's on a quest here. He doesn't believe what's been said. He takes it in, but he is going to either affirm it or expose it at false. And he is, in fact, like these scientists who make themselves the subject of the experiment. Now, he has recorded this that you might not have to receive the consequence of your own experience. God told Adam, the day you eat, you shall surely die. And virtually, Adam and Eve says, well, I really don't believe it. I have to experience it myself. What a foolish philosophy. When you and I seek to come to knowledge by experience at disobedience of what God has commanded us not to do, then we are foolish. Absolutely foolish. Because once we've committed ourselves, there is no going back. There's no undoing, no unknowing, nothing. It's done. Now Solomon tells us three things about his experience with pleasure in verses 1 through 11. Let me read the text for you. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with myrrh, therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. I said to laughter, it is madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched my own heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, while guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. 
I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted my vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to, to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kind. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eye desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labors. Then I looked in all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor on which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. Solomon tells us three things about his experience with pleasure. First of all, Solomon experienced emotional pleasure, verses 1 through 3. Secondly, Solomon experienced physical pleasure, verses 4 through 8. And then thirdly, Solomon experienced the letdown of pleasure, verses 9 through 11. Notice the process and the product. Let's look at the first. Solomon sought to experience emotional pleasure. His purpose was to test by his wisdom the various claims of men under the sun. The word to test means to prove, to attempt to verify the claims of a particular person or thing. Now, the man Solomon purposed in his heart by his own personal experience to either affirm or expose the false claims of these things as a fulfillment of life. It's interesting that so many in the world and so many Christians attempt to prove for themselves as if they are the exception, and we're not. I have even heard of people who were raised in the Lord, and they never were out in any real gross sin or anything else, and yet they felt sort of a little less, and they couldn't identify. So they went out to experience, go to the bars or to the nightclubs or, or to whatever. So this way they can identify with the people as teachers. How foolish. It taints you. It poisons you. Now you're no longer free. The man Solomon said in his heart, come now, I will test you. This describes the process of the various tests to affirm, to expose the false claims. So you have him going one by one from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 11. All these things that he seeks to find out, either true or false, as a goal for fulfillment and satisfaction of life. This is the first evidence of his proclamation to seek out by wisdom concerning all these things under heaven. He said that in chapter 1, verse 13. And I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. So he tells us what he's going to do. And he's recorded this for us that we might not be foolish enough to do it also. 
That's God's grace. How would you like God to record your life for all coming generations so they can learn from you? <laughs> That's exactly what God has done in the Bible. Not that he wants to embarrass them, it's that he loves us so much that we might learn through obedience, not experience. The king of Jerusalem attempted to examine by his own ability to control the influence of these things, but he could not. But who can go out there and experience and be non-biased, non-affected? Nobody can. The phrase under heaven is synonymous with the phrase under the sun. That phrase describes all that men experience on earth apart from God. The location of natural man is the existence in this planet for a set number of years. What's your best shot to live? 70? 80? 100? I am positive even the one who has lived to 130, 120, when they got to their last day and it was their deathbed, they said, man, it sure went fast. And I can guarantee you that every one of them looked back and said, if I had to do it all over again, if they lived it apart from Christ. But a more sadder commentary are those who get to their deathbed being in Christ, but living carnal, and they regret their lives. That's worse than a non-believer. The phrase depicts natural man giving himself over to the desires of his flesh in an attempt to find fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And isn't man like that? I mean, he's just like a busy little bee, bing, 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 bing. You know, he's, just, he's just trying to make it, trying to get satisfied. And the more he's satisfied, the more he's unsatisfied. And we've gotten to the generation where you got to be positive. You can do it. It's in you. Oh, yes, it's getting better. I like myself. And, you know, you talk to yourself in the mirror and everything else. And, you know, incredible. All these psychologists, they show all kinds of baggage. This is your baggage. You've got to get rid of your baggage. And you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And you've got to look in the mirror and think positive and this and that. And all these little tricks. But the bottom line is you still go to bed and say, mm, there's got to be something more. How interesting. Notice secondly, still in verse 1, his purpose was to test happiness. Solomon said, I will test mirth. And the word mirth means gladness, gaiety, or happiness. The problem with happiness is that it is so dependent on external things. The outward circumstance, situations of life. So you're driving out a brand new car. You just love it. It smells good. Mm, new. Driving out. Make it right. Car hits you. Now you're not so happy. <laughs> Your happiness is gone. Very temporal. Situation. Circumstance. A person's emotional feelings are basically the measure of their happiness today. We are constantly being pumped to live by our emotions. How do you feel? God doesn't care how you feel. He cares of your obedience. And as you obey, your emotions will line up. But if they don't line up, he's more interested in obedience. But society tells us, make decisions on your emotions. And so people say, well, I don't feel like I'm in love with him anymore. So I need to go find myself. You better hope to God you never find yourself. <laughs> it's a real shocker. A person's happiness apart from God is basically self-centered. You see, happiness as a goal is foolish. Happiness should be a result, not the goal. 
And even then, happiness is temporal, even in the Lord, right? That's why we live through the joy of the Lord. It's our strength, not my emotions. And ladies, you have it worst off because you have greater highs and greater lows. And everything can be going great, but you just don't feel that hot, right? Maybe it's just that time, and or maybe it's that time and change and everything else or whatever it may be, and whoa. One guy said, you know the difference between a pit bull and a woman on menopause? <laughs> says one has lipstick. <laughs> now, we can't live by emotions, okay? You better not live by your emotions. Otherwise, we'll have to do what Mark Twain said about kids, right? When they're 16, put them in a barrel and feed them through the hole. And when they're 18, plug up the hole. <laughs> Notice the king of Jerusalem concluded that happiness accomplished nothing. What does it accomplish? Now, is there anything wrong with happiness? No. But as a goal, yes, it accomplishes nothing. You ever see these people that are just like a... Well, smiles just plastered on their face all the time. They're liars. It's not like that. <laughs> Nobody's happy all the time. Now, we all have different personalities. Some of us are more up, more down, in between, whatever. But it's not reality, people. It really isn't. Happiness as a goal is very disappointing. Happiness apart from God is very temporal. And happiness on a constant level is unrealistic when you are surrounded in a world of sinful people. Because I can make your life pretty miserable, and so can you make mine. <laughs> it's just not realistic. Notice thirdly, in verse 1 still, his purpose was to test the claims of pleasure. Uh, the word for pleasure uh, means that which is pleasant or agreeable. Uh, the enjoyment of pleasure is not wrong in and of itself again, as God has intended it. For he made us with the ability to sense pleasure and to enjoy it. But the pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake, once again, is, is very limited, and it's the wrong focus. Have you ever been on vacation, and you've been some of the beautiful places, and then after a while, you just want to go home? It's enough. Enough pleasure, right? <laughs> I'm good for about 10 days, no matter where I am in the world. And then I kind of start looking home. <laughs> Sometimes people, oh, you pastors, you go here or there. I hate, I don't like travel. I'd rather be home. I don't like the planes. I don't like the lines. I don't like, uh, I don't like the food. I don't like waiting. I don't like being not able to catch my plane or whatever it may be. I'd rather be home. Have you ever done something so long that after a while it's no longer pleasurable? You remember the first dish that you really like? Oh, oh you know, I'll, I'll eat this all the time, you know. And when you're little, said, man, when I grow up, I'm going to buy me this stuff. You know, then after a while, you say, ugh, I don't want no more of it. You get tired of the same pleasure, right? Because the law of demands and return is pretty cruel. The more you do it, the less gratification you get. You've got to move on to something else. And usually the movement is not upward, it's downward. The king in Jerusalem concluded that pleasure is also vanity and unsatisfying and empty. Listen to his words. But surely this also is vanity. Incredible. Now notice fourthly in verse 2. His purpose was to test the claims of laughter. The word for laughter means 
to laugh repeatedly. Um, the word can be used for derision, for scorn, or mockery. And it's used like that by Job 12, 24 and Jeremiah 20, verse 7, where they say, oh, remember Nehemiah? They say, oh, well, these guys build up the walls in a day. If a fox goes up against it, he'll, he'll, he'll drop it, he'll fall, <laughs> and they laugh in, in a mockery way. So the context will determine the type of laughter. Now, have you ever been somewhere where um, you laugh so much that um, you're, you're, you just, your side starts hurting? You have to get out of there, right? I mean, it just, you're hurting. Or where you had a night, you just laugh, laugh, next morning you wake up with sore ribs, right? You do. Because you weren't made to live <laughs> all, all day long. You just don't, you know what I mean? Now, I love, I, I'd rather watch a comedy movie any day than anything else. Good suspense was okay, but comedy. Now, I'm basically a serious guy. I'm not, you know, I'm kind of mellow on that, but I love the comedy, right? Last night we were at home, we were watching, and they put this, I just grabbed the last of it of this 1-800, you know how they sometimes some videos and this and that, of the Three Stooges with Curly Joe. So I got it down. I, I, they're funny. I mean, there's so much junk on TV, so I got on the phone and ordered it. <laughs> I can't wait. In four weeks, I get it. But laughter is not something that you can constantly be doing all the time. The king of Jerusalem concluded, laughter, listen to his words, it is madness. Out of its place, out of its proper context, and apart from God, it's madness. Now notice fifthly here, verse 3, his purpose was to test the claims of wine. Solomon did not just indulge himself in a drunken stupor. I don't want you to think that. Remember, he's, he's very methodically, uh, intellectually trying to experience these things, okay? He's unwise and foolish for so doing it, but he's not just going on drunks, okay? And, and he wants to observe it, to be able to verify it, for he says, guiding his heart with wisdom, verse 3 says, okay? But it's foolish to attempt that, right? I mean, when you're under wine, you think you can control it, right? They've done tests with Highway Patrol where they put the cones on. They have a guy totally sober. He makes them okay. Then they give him one beer and, you know, knocks one, then two, and, and, and you see the progression. And no matter how much you want to be in control, you are out of control. You end up being a slobber. You know, you just, you're out of control. Solomon drank till he could verify if, in fact, it was good for the sons of men under heaven. Solomon did know that indulgence of strong drink was not wise and that it should be given to either a dying person or one who's a bitter of heart, Proverbs 31.6. But notice he knew Proverbs was in his middle years. Ecclesiastes was his older years. He knew, but what he knew didn't help him because he didn't obey it. You can know all you want, but if you're not doing it, you receive the consequences of it. Jesus says, I'll show you a man who builds his house on the sand, the man who hears and doesn't do. And when the storms come and the floods come, and they will come, his house will be washed away. He says, then I'll show you the man who's wise. He will build his house on the rock. And when the floods and the rains come, and they will come, they will stand. Solomon knew, but he didn't do. That was his problem. The king of Jerusalem concluded that wine did not deliver all that it claimed by implication. And it's implied because of the final statement in verse 11. The whole section implies it. True happiness is 
obtained through Jesus and the obedience to his word. Listen to the first, very first psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They are like the shaft of the wind blown away. The word blessed is happy. The psaltery begins with the promise of happiness, not as a goal, but as a result, as an end product of obedience and walking with God. The Sermon on the Mount declares the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He shall be filled. And he goes on one after the other. Built one on top of the other. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. This happiness is happiness that comes from God, from obedience, not by the pursuit of happiness. True pleasure comes by doing the will of God, for he who created us knows what's best for us. The pursuit of pleasure leads to greater emptiness after a while, for it is unable to fulfill the void in our hearts that is placed there by God purposely in Romans 8.20. It can only be filled by Jesus. And if you've been out there and you're trying to fill it with sex, alcohol, whatever it is, you know you come up empty. Oh, it's fun for a while, and it's, it's great, but after a while, it starts turning on you, doesn't it? It's like a very friendly cobra, and all of a sudden, one day, it just turns around and bites you. And there isn't a darn thing you can do about it. The person who lives for pleasure, the Bible says that he or she is dead while they live. 1 Timothy 5, 6. The world says, oh, this is fun. Hey, this is great. Come back and talk to them 20 years later. If you have to wait that long. True laughter is delightful and healthy, but it has its place in its proper uh, time, right? Solomon tells us in Proverbs 17, 2, a merry heart does good like medicine. And it is good. It's proven scientifically. Those who laugh, who, who, have, who are merry heart, they have less diseases, everything else. You know, it's good for you. But Solomon also tells us that there's a time for laughter in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, right? So you don't laugh all the time. <laughs> You're not laughing all the time, right? It has its place. True intoxication is to be the influence of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, not wine. Now, let me suggest that some of you are still drinking, okay? And you think that you have the liberty in the private of your own home, and you do. I, can, I would never tell you that you're going to go to hell if you drink one beer or drink a glass of wine. But what I can tell you is that if you think you can handle it, can your children handle it? When all of a sudden one day they, they see you drinking all the time, just very, you know, in your own privacy, and they think they can handle it, and they start drinking. What are you going to do, Mom, Dad? And what do you do when they knock on your door and they say, uh, do you have a son? He's just been pronounced dead in a traffic accident. He was drinking. You better watch the way you exercise your liberty. It goes beyond your own health, your own protection as Christians. I am to be filled with the Spirit continuously as a practice of life. I am to be filled with the Spirit continuous to influence my life over and over and over again. How many lives have been destroyed and affected through alcohol? Many of us come out of alcoholic. I mean, I was drinking all the time in the world. I mean, thank God I stopped. I mean, it destroys people. Alcohol, I hate it. It destroyed my father's lives for many years. And it was destroying mine. It's ugly. Solomon sought to experience emotional pleasure to be fulfilled, but he was disappointed. Didn't happen. Pastor Xavier Reese, noting the dangers associated with man's pursuit of happiness and pleasure, 
as observed by King Solomon from our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And there's much more to come next time, so we hope you'll tune in then. But in the meantime, you can hear this program again by clicking on the radio listings link when you visit calvarychapelpasadena.com. Today's message, The Pursuit of Pleasure, is also available on CD. Get the complete message to study at your own pace and then pass it on to someone else you know. Please include $4 when you ask for the title, The Pursuit of Pleasure. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us monitor the effectiveness of our broadcast ministry. Jesus said, He who is shown mercy is to go and do likewise, imitating the forgiveness through which we are saved. Join Pastor Xavier Rees highlighting the gift of mercy next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com